On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group begins their yes discussion. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music covering the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined, as usual, by my very good friends, Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory. Now, this episode is the first episode where we switch from the neo-progressive rock band Marillion and focus on Yes. And as you can imagine, with a band of Yes's um, stature, we need to establish the foundation. And so this prelude episode really just kind of captures a lot of the background thoughts that we have regarding Yes and sets us up to pick up the discussion in earnest next episode where we start in with the Yes album. In this episode, we do cover very briefly Time and a Word, and I think we maybe mention first album. <laughs> but, uh, but again, as we got into this, we found that we had, you know, like I said, just a lot of thoughts and, and how we got into Yes and, and sort of what it means. And it, it seemed to be very helpful to just sort of, like I said, set the stage. So we hope you enjoy. So this is exciting. Now we're moving on, finally, to something besides Marillion. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm very, very excited by this. So tonight, we will Me be too. doing... I'm almost, I'm almost nervous about it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> how's this going to work? <laughs> and, and plus, you know, as much as I love Marillion, and as much time as I spent listening to Marillion, I... I probably have spent more time listening to Yes in my life. Um, you know, I think of all the, the times that I've had my, my quote-unquote Yesables, and literally I have spent two months at a time listening to nothing but Yes. Just straight. Nothing else. And I've done that way more than once. So, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really quite exciting in that we decided to sort of start um, with, with what I'll call the real Yes, um, the Yes album. So we're skipping over um, their first the cover album. band. Just called the cover band, right. Yes, and Time and a Word. Although Time and a Word, I think, is noteworthy simply because the title track from Time and a Word, um, you know, received significant um, live time late in the careers. I think it was the ABWH tour where they dusted that off the first time, and, and John's kind of kept it in rotation more or less since. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and Paul, I know you wanted to talk about the first two albums, or at least touch on them quickly, and, and we can do that. But, you know, I really, the Yes album is where, where things really began. So, um Yeah, well, I agree with you on that last last statement. Um, but there is a there is a lot more um, happening on on time and a word than um, than simply uh, the title track. So um, and like there there is this you know there are some of the um, 
um, you know, there's a cover, I think, like, the Richie Haven song, No Opportunity Necessary, um, No Experience Needed, is, um, is like, a, it's, it's one of those songs where I don't think, I don't think I even knew these songs until, like, the Union Tour, and they put that box set out, or they had all those interviews and everything, and then uh -huh. they started talking about it. But there's, um, the, the, the thing that I, I, I went back and listened to this, and, like, I had totally forgotten. I was, did I come back? You're, You're back. back. You're back. Did you hear the song I was playing? No, didn't hear a thing. Did my did me playing music put me myself on hold? That's so strange. It looks like it. I, I totally forgot about Sweet Dreams, this song. This song mm -hmm. is killer. And, and like this freaking bass line here. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean it is just fucking great. So the the thing that was also interesting about this for me when I listened to this again was was that you know i don't think i had ever really listened to to this thinking about peter banks or tony k for that matter um you know i had just you know taken it for granted and sometimes i think i forgot that peter banks was was the guitar player but like this this was the album that they started adding like or or orchestral um pieces to it so they brought in an orchestra and they recorded with it and supposedly that was one of the things that led to peter banks departure from the band that he didn't really like you know them going in that direction and when you listen to this like he's not really a standout uh player and it's he there's nothing wrong with what what he's doing but he's not really like a standout player and um and so it you know in, in fact in some of the stuff that they that they have the orchestra in when you listen to the 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 arrangement of the of the orchestra you almost think wow like that sounds like something that steve howe would play in a later album right it's almost <laughs> like we don't need the orchestra now because we have steve howe who's gonna who's gonna cover those parts on guitar instead of just playing the chords along with it so it really um uh, you know, to me, it, it was just, it was just a different experience listening to it, thinking about Peter Banks and the interplay, and of course, uh, this whole entire um, episode of listening to Yes for me was a Bill Bruford awakening for me. Oh yeah. So, listening to this record and listening to Bill Bruford just, you know, rocking his socks off and like just in it with Chris Squire is just amazing, and. Um, and it just it felt very natural to me that okay yeah it makes sense like you got Tony K who we've spent a lot of time in our lives sort of <laughs> you know that's him as the butt of our jokes um, probably <laughs> fairly or Tony you know he was he was rocking it out on on this and he was you know he was in command in many ways and uh, so I, was, I think Rick Wakeman is worthy of far more jokes in the long run and he tells <laughs> horrible jokes as it is so yeah <laughs> tony's redeemed yeah so um so yeah so this this for me was that's kind of why i was like man we should we should check it out because no opportunity necessary no experience needed then sweet dreams astral traveler time and a word like all great songs that really you can hear like the foundation of everything that was coming after that and um and really um and it's funny on the, on the spotify version 
of Time and a Word, it looks like this. it's Steve Howe on the cover, even though he didn't play on it. I think they went back and... Yeah, I, I, I want to say, and I've, I've read or heard the story about that, they recorded that album and Peter Banks said, screw you, and left, and they got Steve Howe, like, literally just in time to to take that picture and, and release the album. So, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't play on it at all, but he is on the uh, on the cover. I also want to say I came across a story, and I don't remember if it was the Yes album or Time and a Word. One of them, the band had just been like a car accident the day before. That's and the Yes album. Is that the Yes album? Yes, yes. Okay. Very well known. Yeah, very well documented story. Yes. Yep. So... And, and, you know, it's, it's funny, Paul, now, you know, hearing you talk about Time and a Word, um, I, I want to say, you know, I, I own Time and a Word, and I've had sort of the experience that you just described, where you're like, yeah, hey, this is good. Hey, this is good, too. But I don't know that I've, I really don't know if I've ever listened to the first album. I'm sure I must have at some point, but it's made absolutely no impression on me whatsoever. Uh, I, I think I'm in that camp with you, Joe. And apparently, um, my has been okay with without it, but um, I just I find that interesting. I, I I do almost. I was thinking about this today as as I was sort of mentally preparing for this this episode, and I I almost feel obligated before we even get into it to sort of express the biases that I bring to this discussion, even though I know that a lot of, you know, I, I, I've sort of mentally moved past a lot of them. But I'm just afraid of things I'm going to say because I always think in a certain pattern are going to come out and people are going to be like, oh, God, what a, what a dick. But I really don't mean, you know, for that to be the case. So, and, and, Paul, I think you and I had this discussion one of the trips I had more recently um, back up there. But, you know, fundamentally, oh, in fact, it was when we were in Austin because we were going to see ARW. Yeah. Now, now retitled as Yes, featuring John Anderson, Trevor Raven, and Rick Wakeman, but that's a whole... Fucking A right. That's how it should be. That, well, yeah, I, I, I can't really argue with it. But anyway, you know, I came into the whole yes thing in the late 80s with Trevor. And, right, you know, I, I just, for whatever completely irrational reason, and Trevor could absorb a lot of jokes, too. I love Trevor Raven. Oh, my God, I just love trevor raven was it and, changes did she like like i wondered about that because i was not on the yes train but you two guys were in in sync and i think it was probably changes that you heard first but tell me if it was something different um i i don't remember when i heard 90125 i remember I remember Own of a Lonely Heart being on MTV and seeing the video, and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But that really didn't turn it for me. 
it probably was changes, but it, it was really big generator. I remember coming out, and you know, I I can't remember when I you know the two of them came together. But Paul, I mean, am I re- misremembering? We used to listen to Big Generator driving to hockey games. That sounds like something yeah. it would have done. Yeah, among when among we many other to, uh, many other great records. Yeah, like, when we weren't listening to uh, Hysteria, we were probably listening to that. And you know, and you know was, I, the, the 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 records that I remember listening to the most though are Paul Stanley's Solo Kiss album. Oh and, my God. <laughs> And I think I think on the opposite side of the cassette was that band called Axe that we listened to as well. Axe, yes, <laughs> okay, nice. Um, and, and for it was, sure, it was it was on the Big Generator tour when we saw them at the Spectrum. Yeah, and you know it's one of those things. I remember Heart of the Sunrise, and it was just it was like an epiphany. I was like, holy crap! Now the ironic thing is, I go back and I listen to you know, live recordings from that tour, and I just cringe because Trevor just fucking destroyed that song. You know, it was, and even to this day, a lot of stuff of Steve's, Trevor just wants to play as fast as he possibly can, and, you know, he goes past the line. All that being said, I love Trevor Raven. And another part of that. That being said, I have a huge appreciation for Steve Howe. I have seen way more Steve Howe live performances than I have Trevor Raven. And Steve Howe kicks the crap out of it. Steve Howe is phenomenal. But if you ask me to pick one, I would still pick Trevor every day of the week just because I, that's the way I am. So there's that. Now, we've talked on Bill Bruford. Obviously, when we got into this whole thing, Bill Bruford hadn't been around. Alan White was there. It was probably, it, I, don't, I don't know exactly when it was that I got real deep into the back catalog, but the first real exposure I had to Bill Bruford as a cognizant human being was the Union Tour, which did not do Bill Bruford any favors whatsoever. He was a mere shell of himself at that point. Really? Oh God, it was awful. He was there. There was there's, and we'll get there. But there's so much about the Union tour that was just ill-advised. And Bill Bruford and his goofy electronic drum kit and his little Bill Bruford butt wiggle uh, was not good. Not good at all. Um, but you know, like as as Paul said. I, I find, so while I'm going to be more prone to making Bill Bruford jokes, I find the more I listen to the older catalog, the more I really, really, really just get off on what Bill did on those albums. It was, it was great. And, you know, thinking about the interviews from that, uh, the box set video that they did, you know, Bill has... Had, had a very interesting perspective on everything. And, um, you know, I, I just thought, I, I wish I could have learned to appreciate him more than I did. Um, although, I, like I said, I, I appreciate his playing now. But so I, I just, you know, and, and of course, the whole Tony K thing, that poor guy. Um, but I, I just, okay. I, I feel bad about that. Not, so, you know, I, like I said, I don't want anyone to think that I don't 
fully appreciate Steve and Bill, um, even though I'm sort of naturally inclined more towards um, Trevor and, and Alan. But, you know, I just wanted to get that out there. All right. Well, if people think you're a dick, Joe, just just own it up, okay? Well, you know, it is, <laughs> it is what it is. And and but like I said, Steve Howe, I it, the, the funniest thing, and I'll tell a little side story here because we can make these things run as long as we freaking want. But the 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 thing that really struck me about Steve Howe, and think about you know again when we got into this and and all the the craziness going on in in the uh, you know what the the 90s of various regions and the early 2000s so you know steve was in asia that was really you know okay steve how i got it and then you connect the dots oh he used to be and yes i got it and then he was in abwh which was something totally different and then he was in gtr which tom touched on and then you know by this point asia had moved on but I remember their first album with with John Payne, the second singer. Steve Howe wound up playing on that, even though he wasn't, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't, all he did was play acoustic guitar, but he was listed, you know, at, on the last um, page of the foldout. And I'm like, you know, well, that was really cool of him to go back and help out, even though they got this new guitarist and everything else. And... And and when you follow sort of Steve Howe, Steve Howe shows up everywhere. You know, again, I'd love to see. We always talked about it, but Steve Howe's dot. And and what I got from that was that Steve must be the greatest guy in the world, and everybody wants to work with Steve, and Steve will work with everybody. And that really sort of came home in the the one tour I saw when Asia had gotten the original lineup of Asia had gotten back together, and they opened for Yes. Steve Howe played the whole freaking thing. He played the whole night long. It was amazing. And, you know, watching Steve perform live is really, really something to see. I mean, the guy is freaking tireless. And he makes yeah. it look effortless, too. So, yeah, that, that's my little uh, love fest for, for Steve Howe. But we probably should oh, add oh, some oh. form. Um, yeah, I, 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 at some point, I have to chime in. Oh, yeah, sorry. On, on, on the... On the mathematical abstraction of Steve Howe, okay. um, there are moments in the Yes catalog, particularly early on, where I want to say, Steve, you're not playing quite as fast as you think you are. There is something here. There is a shift. You know, there, there was a little bit of relativity involved in the early Yes albums. <laughs> and he, he would just like... He would he would blow through licks and he would play at a faster tempo than the band and then he would slow down and let them catch up to him and he would drop notes and and, and whatnot. It, it, but it but it but it's it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful because it's so real. Yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 it's so like you can tell they're in the room together and they're making this and and they're not taking take after take after take and they're not overdubbing it it is so conversational and it's so real and he will just like launch he will blow and he will like miss like three or four notes and it'll just be blah, blah, blah. but then the next 20 notes will be effing perfect that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of steve howe is just yeah. how how raw it is 
and, and, and you can hear them getting into the riff and you can hear them getting out of the riff and, and, and sometimes perfect and sometimes muted, but, but always right there with the listener. That is, that is, you know. And, and, and that's interesting, especially as it, it juxtaposes Trevor, who is like, you know, a, an OCD perfectionist on everything. Yeah, drum machine player, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it, and, and I remember, I remember, you know, again, watching the videos from that, that union tour, and, you know, Alan and, and Bill seemed to really be, you know, chumming out together, and and even Tony and, and, and Rick seemed to have a great time. There didn't seem to be any sort of camaraderie between <laughs> Steve and Trevor. Really? I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll have to go back and, and watch it when we get there. But but that, I mean, that's well, the impression that I have. Was there camaraderie in uh, GTR? No, I've heard. I've heard that, and I want to. I, I, I want to say that GTR was not a happy experience for anybody. Um, I you know I, I, I what don't about remember. Max Bacon? Put, pretty much put him on the map, didn't it? Well, yeah, Max. Um, but I, I want to say that I, I read I read a couple of tales of that, and and neither Steve nor neither Steve Howe nor Hackett were particularly pleased with that whole thing. And yeah, I, so I, I don't think that worked out particularly well. And, and I want to say the idea was to almost have you know like rotating slots, if you will. Like, it wasn't supposed to always be Steve Howe and Steve Hackett. Like, you could put any, you know, guitarist in there. I, I, but we'll deal with that later. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, um, so, you know I, I love the point about the, the fluidity of, of um, Steve Howe's playing. And, you know, I, I, I think both of your points come together. And, you know, Joe, you sang what an amazing guitar player he is live. And Ken... I think that his, particularly on these early albums, the, the the playing is very live. It sounds like they're in a room together, and and you're right. Like he plays one time. You know, the first the first time they pass through, um, yours is no disgrace. The, you know, all that main guitar work. You know, it's it's less staccato in in one area. It's more staccato in another. It's sometimes it's doesn't it, almost like he's just kind of sliding into it. It's got that live feel like it's going to be different every time they, they just happen to record yep. that past yeah and it's it, it's fantastic and i and i can't help now listening to it feeling that 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 bill bruford that that sort of jazz kind of approach that he has just kind of permeates through that that live band and live recording it's a it's a fantastic combination um, Bill Bruford and Steve Howe oh, yes. in the early seventies oh, yes. doing yep. all that stuff. Um, really cool. But Ken, I, you know, you said that Joe and I were in, you in sync in that time when we were kind of into the big generator and discovering. Yes, when when did it happen uh, for you? Oh, much later, much later. Um, I picked my listening based on what could be covered or you know what i could tap into and learn um how was too complicated for me to learn 
Uh, even Squire, some of his work was too complicated for me to sit down and learn. And none of the, uh, you know, uh, singers that we were all, well, you know, ourselves <laughs> and people that we knew couldn't cover Anderson. So I just like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to waste any time if I can't cover any of this material. It's just, yes, is a waste of time. It's, it, it's uh, superfluous. Um, and it happened much, much later for me. Um, uh, I'm going to give credit to you, Joe. Uh, we had a trip to Florida, and, 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 and you just got it through my skull on Heart of the Sunrise. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah. That, and like I said, that was, I, it's one of those things, and, you know, you have those moments in life, and, you know, it's weird. You can't, there's no rhyme or reason as to necessarily what you remember, but I so, I so remember that show. Because Paul and I were sitting sort of at the back of the arena, straight on to the uh, to the stage, and you know they got to that part with the sharp distance, and 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 it was just sort of echoing around that whole thing, and I was just like, it just it took me somewhere, and I was like, oh, because my my older brother Len had had classic Yes, you know the 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 album, and. Why he had it, I couldn't tell you other than every you know kid of his age was required to have it, I guess. But he didn't know anything really about it. And so it was one of those things where, you know, after that moment, I remember, you know, going back home and I'm like, all right, let's let's start to investigate this a little bit more. And it was like, oh, okay, I get it. I totally get it. How about the um, uh, two shows I attended with uh, both of you? Um, one would have been ABWH in Philadelphia, and the other one would have been Yes in Nashville with Trevor Rabin. Yeah. Yes in Nashville was a, not their best show. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not an outdoor kind of festival kind of a... I mean, it, it, it depends on the exact parameters. But um, I got the sense during that tour... They maybe planned for indoor arenas, and then they were just kind of hanging out there in the park one day, and they didn't quite have the right set list. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, um, that we did learn about was, the golden, the golden, uh, the golden uh, wings of moths um, that night right. in Nashville, though, from John Anderson, well, and who may have were, been in an altered state. There was so much about that, you know, for. For all of the the good parts to it, I, I I still maintain that the talk album was nothing more than a deal with the devil, and it is in no way, shape, or form I think an album that was really ever meant to be performed live, um, and you know just uh, watching. Watching John be as weird as he was that night, watching sort of the the, the public emasculation of Tony Kay was a little uncomfortable, and you know that was the the introduction for all of us of one Billy Sherwood. Which Sorry, uh, public what? emasculation. That's that's heavy material. Where does that come from? <laughs> well, it comes from the fact that. And, and and there's 
there is no small amount of irony that as you, you know, read through the history of Yes, Tony K was apparently asked to leave after the Yes album because Tony K steadfastly refused to get into all the newfangled gadgets. He right. wanted to play Hammond organ and his piano, and that was all he wanted to do. And you can argue all day and night about the technical skills of Tony K and whether he has any or not. Um, by the time talk came around, and I've heard stories, or I've read stories, that apparently when they were making the talk album, they wanted Rick Wakeman to play on it. And near as I can, and again, this is not documented anywhere. This is just me projecting my thoughts onto the whole thing. I think after the Union tour, you know, Trevor just wanted to go do his own thing. And John, for whatever reason, said, Trevor, please, 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 let's just make a Yes album and you can do whatever you want. And so Trevor went into his studio with his Korg and his guitar and he did whatever the hell he wanted. And if you look at, you know, so by all accounts on 90125 and Big Generator, Tony K was a contributor in some form or fashion. If you look at the credits on Talk, Trevor is, is credited with guitars, keyboards, and programming, and Tony K is credited with Hammond Organ. On that tour, Tony K played the Hammond organ. And Trevor's got his Korg set up, his workstation right there, and he's, you know, doing all kinds of shit, and, you know, every all the, the keyboard sequences were either played by Trevor or sequenced, and Tony's just sitting back there kind of stroking himself. It was, it was such an ignominious end to Tony's time in the band. Uh, at least that's how I remember it. It was, you know, it was just... It was such a Trevor ego trip, um, that particular tour, that it was, you know, it was kind of funny. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm just, as I'm listening to you, I'm flipping through here. So one of the things that um, was talked about, the, the talk album, was that Trevor and, and John Anderson tried to work very hard together on it together. Because Big Generator was, and to a great extent, as as we have learned a little bit from that, um, that <laughs> Trevor Horn video, video of um, I can't wait to talk yeah, about that <laughs> of Trevor Horn, that it was mostly songs that Trevor had all written, and then Anderson came in and tried to work on after the fact. So, so there's some information that would lead us to believe that Talk was actually the most collaborative that Trevor and John Anderson had ever been. Um, at writing uh, material. Um, you know, that being said, you know, when we, when we think about, like, two members of Yes getting together to create an album sort of in a vacuum away from everybody else, I think of Tales of the Topographic Ocean. Yeah. So, so, you know, talk would probably be, you know, in that realm for me. Oh, humor me. Um, Who wrote Tales? So I I could be wrong. I could be proven wrong later. But my my feeling about Tales for some reason in my head is that during the Close to the Edge tour, it was basically Steve Howe and John Anderson just writing their their butts off 
And then, you know, as they would go on tour, they would pull the whole band in the studio and say, okay, guys, play this and do this. And, and they were just, they just recorded that whole thing piecemeal while, while on tour. But John and, and, and um, Steve wow. Howe were mostly the writers. Wow. That is the story as I've heard it as well. Wow. So, um, so I think it's always better when the full band is involved in the creating of a song, especially when it comes to Yes. And, you know, it's funny, Joe, that you brought up the, the classic Yes album. So um, I had 90125 on a cassette after it came out. It's like it was the early 80s, right? I was still quite infantile in my musical life like i hadn't really even started playing instruments i was really just singing and and not really you know i was still playing soccer and not really thinking that hard about music um and i remember listening to that at the shore with my cousins and really liking it but not really thinking much more about it than you know this is cool stuff um it was really when um when big generator came out and uh, you know, for some reason, Vic was the ambassador of VS. Like he was the he was the guy who, seemingly out of nowhere, had every Yes album on vinyl. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I found myself um, after Big Generator coming out. Like I think Vic said to me, "Come over to my house. I'll burn you a copy of the tape." So I went to his house one day and then I found myself over there all the time listening to Yes. And so I had on cassette from Vic um, Big Generator on one side and Classic Yes on, on the other. And so for probably the mo the, almost the entirety of my high school, whenever you know Big Generator came out, it was that was it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was... That was all I knew. So, you know, Wonder Stories, Heart of the Sunrise, Yours is No Disgrace, Starship Trooper, um, Long Distance Runaround. I'm not sure what else is on Classic Yes, but those were all the songs that it was like those songs, Roundabout and Big Generator. And then we went to that show and and like, you know, kind of like you were saying, Joe, for me, every time I saw Yes, it was like I ended up like getting a glimpse of another another like peel of the onion of yes and then i was like yeah. oh i gotta i gotta go listen to that so like i knew heart of the sunrise but i didn't really know fragile and you know i felt like i knew the yes album because you know three of the songs four of the songs were my favorite of, of the whole group so but but as i would listen to the songs live i'd be like oh i gotta go listen to um uh, fragile and I have to and you and I that song is amazing I need to go listen to that so it was like I would see them live and that happened on that tour the big generator tour the first one where the first time I went Joe we got moved up to like the 15th row or whatever and we got to see that show um, so close it was so amazing and and then I went back and started listening so much more to to classic yes and then they came back around later that year and I saw them a second time and it was like so much more amazing because now I knew all the songs. Right. Right. And, and like, you know, sharp 
boom, distance, boom. It was like I was I was there waiting for it and, and ready. It was it was pretty killer. So um, so uh, those first couple shows were pretty pretty important. But the first time I saw Anderson Brew for Wakeman Howe, I really didn't know um, the song "Close to the Edge." And then after watching that performance, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I really need to." Do-. And then, and then they came back around like four or five months later, and then I yeah. went and I and then I knew it. So, so it's it the the live shows have been instrumental for me at least in in learning in learning some of their music um, because mm. it's such a ridiculously huge it, catalog and it, long it's so, songs. It's so ironic that, that Bruford left after Close to the Edge and, 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 and that, for the most part, was a full band writing experience. Yeah. You know? But that full band writing experience is what blew out his concentration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, I think it's, it's, it's great, you know, God, this is awesome. We're like 40 minutes into this, and we haven't even started on the albums we're supposed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just establishing the baseline here, which is, <laughs> which is really, it's really important for, for a band like Yes. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm sitting here laughing, and I want to say I've got it you know, on the schedule because it's, you know, it's now officially part of the, uh, of the canon, if you will. But I remember when MBWA came out, you know that was sort of like the the height of our pretentious heyday, and man, I seem to recall a lot of of heavy duty you know discussion about the merits or lack thereof of that album. <laughs> Very funny. Well, long lost brother of mine is is a little bizarre. I mean, you you, you can talk about don't kill the whale, but Anderson hit his. Fruity cocoa puffs cuckoo moment on long lost brother of mine, you know. I mean, fiasco, man. I mean, well, I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't debate that. Um, I don't think I would debate that. However, um, when, when you when you think about, uh, well, I'm not going to debate that at all. Um, <laughs> the 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 song, the meeting. It is is just one of the most I think one of the the most beautiful yes pieces um, done, and I I think they did a little bit of that at the ARW show, right, Joe? Um, um, and, and the first the first part the first suite of um, that Anderson Bruford Wake coming in how um, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, the I remember it starts with the real, you know, sweet, uh, you know, the sweet little keyboard line and the do 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 right. And like I remember being at that that pool hall in like Lansdale um, late at night when that was playing. For some reason, like there was a time when that could still be playing in a public place, and um, and I remember us playing pool. And I'm not sure who all was there. And and then after that beautiful introduction, like all of these electronic drums come in with this like very jazzy sort of Bill Bruford fill, which today I love, but you know, back then I I, I was not really as, as open to that kind of thing. And I remember thinking, Oh, jeez, like please give me a break. Um 
And yet, like that is one of my that again is one of my favorite pieces of Yes music and has perhaps my favorite line of John Anderson of all time, which is my music is oh my music is the witness my uh, my music is the only witness to my very soul. My favorite my favorite yes line of all time. So I, I'm glad it's part of the so-called Canon Joe. Um, I don't know if are we making that up? Is that what we're saying? That it's that's part of it? No, if you go to Yes World, the official Yes website. Oh good. I'm it glad is, it's it, part of it. It's been listed as as an official album for a number of years at this point, I think. Fantastic. And, and yeah, you know, at, at the time, you know, I understand why it wasn't and everything else, but much like ARW changing their name to Yes, featuring blah, 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 it, it is and was a Yes album. So, you know, in, in everything but name. So, and, and you know, you understand why it, why it occurred, why it is the way it is. Um, yeah. Actually, I don't. Was that because Squire was just off his rocker by that point? No. No, 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 no. Not at all. So... So I basically after this oh god this is great the 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 stories from from those days and to hear them from the from the mouths of the individuals so basically by all accounts recording big generator was not fun for anyone and i guess it didn't it wasn't as successful as 90125 and John got it in his head that, you know, making music for commercial success was not a worthwhile pursuit. And he was better than that. And so he either left the band or were told to get the fuck out. I'm not quite sure how that happened. And, you know, at that point, you know, how was available, presumably done with Asia at that point. And so they wanted to get together and do their thing. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know that I've ever read the whole story about how the four of them came together and everything else. But you know, I, I think a lot of it was driven by by John and his pretension at that particular moment. Um, you know, and it, it's it's funny to hear John now talk about you know the Trevor catalog and and how wonderful the music is and everything else. When, like I said, if you look at some of his interviews from the union or ABWH time, it was a whole different story. So, you know, at that point, um, you know, yes, was, was still together in terms of, you know, Chris, Chris and, and Alan were, were joined at the hip and by all accounts, um, you know, Trevor and, and Chris were very, very tight as well. So they weren't, they weren't going anywhere. They had their own gig. Um, and Paul, I don't remember, you know, because that, that's really what, what led to the whole union thing. You know, they were going at it as a, a, yeah. a four-piece, I guess. Or had they brought in Billy at that point? I don't remember. And, um, yeah, so it went from there. I don't hmm. think so. I think they were still working with um, Tony Levin um, on the bass. And they were just, and I, I actually, it's funny. I saw a little snippet of, of, of all people, uh, Bill Bruford, um, who, who was saying, no, yes, was working as a four piece. 
Um, oh, I think uh, you're right. Yes, they were. I don't think I, th I don't think they were working with. Uh, although they could have been working with Billy Sherwood. Who knows? Um, I got gotcha. you. But yeah, so so apparently, like the ABWH was working on their album. Yes, was working on their album, and then you know Bill Bruford had mentioned said on an interview that he found out that it wasn't going to be. An ABWH album. It was just going to be a Yes album, and they were going to do a total tour as the whole band, and it was going to happen with them or without him. And you know, so he could decide whether he wanted to be a part of it or not. So that could explain some of his quirkiness on those videos that we uh, that we saw. <laughs> it uh, could very well. Either that, or he just was, you know, happy-go-lucky guy who didn't 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 give a crap. I don't know. Yeah, but I think yeah. So you know what I'm looking at is that they, they had intended to release ABWH as a Yes album, and then they were sued by, you know, I guess, Chris Squire for, you know, to not be able to use the name. So, so that's why they became Anderson, Groove, Voigtman, and Howe. Oh. Yeah, and, and we'll get into it when we get to the Union album, but, you know, in... In preparation for the ARW tour that Paul and I saw, um, was that November? Yes, it's a long time ago. Um, I'd done a lot of, of of research and whatnot, and there are some fascinating stories about how that whole thing came together. I think there's one there's there's one more thing that needs to sort of be addressed in this foundational piece, and and Ken, I want to say it was you who would actually touched on it, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, maybe at this point. And, and that is that, and while it seems like an obvious thing to say, Chris Squire was really the, 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 the pixie dust that made everything go. And in a lot of ways, you know, while a lot of that has to do with his, his, his playing and his sound and everything else, Honestly, it's his voice that is that magic ingredient across a lot of these albums. And it's I find it interesting in that Chris's voice is almost weird on its own. Like if you listen to Run With The Fox, which was the single they had put out as a, as a yes thing after drama, I guess it was, and it's just... You know, it's just Chris singing. It, it's it's a little weird. It's it's different. But when you put him in with with John and Steve or John and Trevor, something magical happens with it. It's really and and honestly, for me, I've seen yes twice now since Chris passed away. And and Billy Sherwood has been has been playing bass and and I've I've very begrudgingly made the comment that Billy Sherwood can play all the notes on the bass. He's he's actually very very good in that regard. But without Chris's voice there, it's there's just something missing, and it's not nearly as enjoyable as it used to be. So. Mm -hmm. It's a dialogue that started, you know, whatever, 1968 or whatever, uh, uh, between Anderson 
and Squire, and Squire was the the response to the you know the call and response. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He always had something to chime in to fill in the gap. Uh, Anderson, in and of himself, has a thin voice, and it came off so well when Chris filled in the space right underneath Anderson. Mm-hmm. Or above him. Yeah, yep. quite often. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, you're so you're so right. Like, Kent, like <clears throat> close to the edge. Like I was listening to that on headphones over the last couple of weeks. And like the whole the, every line, every line is sung in harmony. And it, yeah. it's just incredible. It's incredible. Um, you know, interestingly about the whole Chris Squire thing is is that, you know, in the, in those situations, like going for the one i mean that that whole album you put that in headphones and just like so, sort of zero in on on chris and in his voice and it's it's so entertaining just just that yep i mean he he's it's incredible it's incredible the things that he does um vocally in that and that whole thing on the flip side if you listen to some of you know any any of his solo stuff or which is almost a solo album. Open your eyes. The yes, the yes album. Open your eyes from like <laughs> the late nineties, which is which is primarily him and Billy Sherwood writing, and everyone else just kind of jumping on board. Um, you there, know, there, there you go. Then when when two of the guys write in a vacuum, what happens? Exactly. It's just it's just <laughs> not as good, and it doesn't. You know, it it doesn't come off. The same way, even when Anderson starts laying his vocals over it, and um, and Hal starts adding his, it just does. It's just not the same. And um, you know, Joe, we listened. We we listened to "Open Your Eyes" on the way to Austin. I remember Ken. I'm telling Joe, I'm like, no, dude, we got to put this in because <laughs> there are a couple tracks on here that are just kick ass. And we put it in, and like a minute into it, I'm like, okay, this isn't as good as I remember it being at all. <laughs> I was glad you thought that because I I had listened to it not long before and I'm like really <laughs> yeah yeah it's that's too a, bad that's a it, tough one it's to get too to. bad and then well, arguably I, the band came together to record the latter and it was more of a collaboration and it's it's one of my favorites it's well, one of my favorites so so the beauty about yes is you know you have these sort of constant personnel changes so you've got this group that do a couple albums and this group do a couple albums and they switch out pieces which is you know an interesting contrast to the marillion discussion that we had where they sort of had to create their own change dynamic as they went along with the same people but but they've done this sort of you know good and bad thing a couple different times and you know two Fantastic examples are "Open Your Eyes" and the latter, and "Going for the One" and "Tormato." You know, same people, two albums right next to each other. One is phenomenal, and the other one is a steaming pile of dog turds. You know, lackluster, lackluster. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Any, anything else in sort of the uh, the preamble section? Gosh, um. but I, you know, I, I do think it's important for a band like Yes, um, 
you know, there's there's so much going on here to sort of set the stage. I'm I'm very yeah. pleased. Okay, That's and true. you will give me an opportunity to defend Tormato. Yes, we I can I cannot wait to hear you defend Tormato on that episode. I am on the edge of my seat. And <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear everything you have to say against it. <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna rail against that album mercilessly. Do we need like a do we need a full disclosure beforehand so that you guys can prepare your arguments? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you, you know, I the, as we as we talk since we've covered you know spanned the whole entire history, like one of the things, a couple of things that that are my observations, and I could be completely wrong, but you know we talked about Chris Squire. Joe, you said he was the pixie dust. I, you know, the funny thing for me is that there seemed to be. And, and I think this happens sometimes in bands. After Chris's death, it, there seems to be an overall wider acceptance of all things that are yes, right? All of a sudden, we have two versions of yes touring. Anderson, Raven, and Wakeman, who had never broached the idea of touring, all of a sudden are touring, and they're touring again. And, <laughs> because and, Raven and Wakeman have so much in common. <laughs> and you know it just there's just something to me there that is like wow you know like you know chris squire dies and all of a sudden everybody just starts doing what what and it make it makes me wonder if there was something that you know out of you know out of respect that Trevor and John didn't want to do anything or and Rick didn't want to do anything, you know, to, you know, step on Chris's toes or if it was worse than that. Um, you know, it just, it's just funny to me. And then, you know, part of that, I, I think, or I guess my other observation is at the rock and roll hall of fame induction, there was, there seemed to be quite a difference in the mannerisms of those folks on stage. And it definitely seemed like, you know, John Anderson was kind of in his own world with, um, you know, Trevor was Mr. Businessman, Rick Wakeman just, and, and, and I have to say, in the greatest rock and roll fashion, um, I mean, what a, what a phenomenal fuck you to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by getting up there and talking and just basically making it a stand-up routine. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that was just brilliant. You know, but then, like, you know, Steve Howe comes up and he gives, he opens up this sheet of paper and he talks through all of this stuff. And, and it just seems to me like, you know, there's a big difference between like Steve Howe's world of yes and, um, and everybody else's. And it, it just struck me as like, wow. And I wonder what is going to happen, you know, in the, in the next couple of years, you know, as we move ahead, like, what are we, are, are what are we going to get? Are we going to get any, any more music from these folks or, um, or is it just going to be them, you know, riding off into the sunset with tours? It, it's interesting to me. And, 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 and I find that interesting as well. I haven't seen that induction and I probably need to, to find that at some point, but, you know, like I said, the, so I, I, I said, I've seen yes, twice without Squire. The first time was immediately after his death. It was actually 
that tour had started with Billy Sherwood while Chris was still alive. I guess right. Chris had gotten, had gotten ill, and and Chris had, you know, arranged to have Billy Sherwood take over. So you know that was already a done deal at that point. And obviously, when Chris passed away, there was a certain emotion attached to that. Um, but when I saw them just last year, um, and, and it's interesting because Alan White also wasn't at that show. I guess Alan had had back problems last year and had, had missed most of that tour. So it was, it was Steve, Jeff Downs, who has bona fides as far as Yes goes, um, mm -hmm. Billy Sherwood, John Davidson, which is sort of like new old stock John Anderson, oddly enough. <laughs> and and some some drummer dude that they found on the street, I guess. And it like I said, it, it just there there and it there was there was lacking a certain amount of 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 energy, of feeling, and you know, I is, is it due to the personnel or is it due to the fact that they were playing drama and half of tales? Neither of which I think necessarily translate particularly well. So, mm. but I, I remember being at that show and just feeling kind of flat. And, you know, I had, I had taken a, a girl that I'm seeing and, you know, she was, she had never seen Yes, obviously, and I felt bad that that's what she saw, because that's not Yes. And and I remember leaving that show and, and kind of thinking to myself, you know, how much longer are they going to do this? Because Steve Howe's up there just, you know, looking like the Crypt Keeper, but pouring everything that he's got out there. <laughs> and it just doesn't, it doesn't translate anymore, you know, and, and, you know, I thought they had a really good um, mm. formula right now with this, you know, okay, every couple of years we'll go out, we'll dust off two albums and, you know, we'll play them and the fans will love it. And then we'll sprinkle in some other stuff. And, you know, I mean, they could have kept rotating that out, you know, for 10 years or whatever. Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if they just picked the wrong albums or if if they're it's just not the same anymore. I don't know, and you know, contrast that with the ARW show, which again, I I fully appreciate some of the ridiculousness of both Trevor and, and Rick, um, and even John to a certain degree, but you know, there was there was. There was an energy there. There was sort of like, you know, this this sort of vibrance to that whole show, which honestly I think had a lot to do with um, with the, the the bass player and the drummer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. the only thing, the only problem with the ARW show, and it really isn't a problem, um, is that you know while we were driving down there, Ken, Joe, and I were listening to. Um, uh, podcast interviews of the of the of Trevor Rabin describing how they got together and John Anderson describing how they got together for for the ARW shows and right. you know Trevor went on to say oh well we've always wanted to try to figure out how we could 
rethink some of these classic yes songs <laughs> and <laughs> do them in our own way and you know all of this and and all that really meant in the show was that you know trevor wasn't going to try to play any of steve howe's parts he just kind of made up his own shit and kind of moved on to the next thing and you know and and the the only bad thing about that is it just it just kind of feels a little disingenuous because these are creative guys right like you know trevor rabin's writing movie scores for like dozens of movies um, Rick Wakeman is a is you know a bona fide genius um, on the keyboards, and you know you you kind of think oh they're going to add something different they're going to make this song that I've heard so many times, you know some in some unique way it's going to be different and it wasn't it was just you know we're just going to do the next thing and move on and not really make a big deal out of this, um, so is you know but. You know, before I go too far down that road, I will say to Joe's point, like Rick Wakeman walks on stage with a cape on and they he's all smiles. He's playing his ass off. And Joe, what did they play? Five songs before they even got to a Rick Wakeman era. Yes. Song in the I just set? pulled it up. Yes. Yeah. Song, song six was and you and I. And that was the first one that Rick Wakeman had actually played on the studio album. Yeah. So, so it was like, you know, it, it, but, but the energy was great. And like Rick Wakeman walked on stage and he was like, you know, I'm going to play yes songs all night and I'm just going to have a fun time doing it. And that's it. And that's exactly what happened. And it was, it was refreshing in its own, it's, its own way. So maybe it wasn't super genuine the way it was laid out by Trevor in his interview. Um, but it, it definitely worked. And it was a it was a, a, a wonderful show, and I think it may have been my favorite favorite performance of Awaken um, that, yeah. that I've heard. That was pretty darn good. Yeah. so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. We were very, very excited to begin the discussion about Yes and look forward to continuing that as we cover the first part of the Yes catalog. As always, we welcome and, uh, and look forward to your thoughts and inputs. You can tweet us at ProgPala. Um, we are available on Facebook, Facebook and Instagram both of those as Progressive Palaver and we have a YouTube channel um, also Progressive Palaver I believe and you can email us at progpala at gmail.com the podcast is available on both iTunes and Google Play and we are hosted on SoundCloud if you're on there so use any or all of those to, uh, to follow us and as I said we look forward to bringing you more yes music in the coming weeks as we uh, get ready to move on to other things after that.